Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. Every year we wonder when the offseason is going to officially start, and every year it speaks to us. It's today. It's today. It's a thousand percent today. Evidenced by the fact that I was actually able to get outside and do some yard work, but you know, we talked about it earlier this week and we thought, hmm, news is getting a little thin. It's the off season, folks. The Debrinka trade really did save us. It bookended it. Yeah. That gave us a full week of content. Yeah. And it was good content. Content. Well, the thing is we knew it was coming and that's why we were so, we were just like anxious wrecks leading up to it. Cause it's like, is it going to come now or is it going to come down on like July 29th or something? And you're going to spend half the summer That'd be horrible. sitting there vibrating, waiting for it to happen. But bless Steve Eisman for doing it when he did. I like how he said, uh, someone asked him, like, are you going to do a lot more over the course of the summer? And he just flat out said, well, nah, no, I, th- I think it's going to calm down now for the next little while. Mind you, don't take anything Steve Eisman says at face value as a rule. But uh, he said outside of a few administrative things, there's not going to be much else for the next little while. So it's, uh, it's the off season now. All right, folks, welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast, here to carry you into the offseason, talk about the Detroit Red Wings, give you an outlook into the team, prospects, and lots more. Uh, I am one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. On this episode, what was that? I'm dying. (laughs) I'm dying. With a big old smile on his face. You look like you rushed to the mic and you were sitting down. I was uh, about to yawn and then Brad went really fast, so then I kind of (laughs) swallowed my yawn. Interesting. We'll see when that comes back. Yeah, we're going to pay for that one in about 90 seconds. Yeah. On this episode of the Winged Wheel podcast, uh, Evan is going to struggle to stay alive, but we are going to talk about uh, some Red Wings to to watch this upcoming season and also talk about, you know, if another move is to come before puck drop on the 2023-2024 season, what would it be? Uh, We'll give a little bit of an insight into the prospects and their outlooks over the coming year as uh, the roster at the NHL level is looking a little tight. And uh, some minor signings uh, from the Red Wings, some notes from across the NHL, and whatever else we get into before we take your questions for overtime. Before all that, I want to let you know that this podcast is almost entirely supported by our Patreon supporters. Patreon.com slash podcast if you want to join the Dub Dub Club. You get benefits like access to our Patreon-exclusive bonus episodes, which record uh, right after these main ones. Uh, they're a good time. We let loose, have fun, talk about whatever, and take any additional questions that we didn't get to in the main show. You also get access to our Winged Wheel Podcast exclusive Discord, and you're automatically entered into all of our giveaways. For example, last season we gave away two tickets to every Red Wings home game, and we'll be doing the exact same this year, the vast majority going to our Patreon supporters. So again, patreon.com slash Winged Wheel Podcast if you want to support the show. Also, Saturday, August 26th at 5.30 p.m. at Motor City Casino is the Roast and Toast of Thomas Holmstrom and Nicholas Lidstrom, respectively, presented by Trinity Health in benefit of the Jamie Daniels Foundation. Uh, it's a fantastic event. Uh, always, you know, a lot of really good laughs there. There's going to be uh, Doc Emmerich, Chris Draper, Ian Bag, who's hysterical, Steve Ott, Evan, get ready with the marker, uh, and Jim Ralph. Uh, you're going to see us, a bunch of NHLers, a bunch of Red Wings. Uh, there's two levels of tickets. Uh, one of them has cocktails, hors d'oeuvres, dinner, uh, an auction. If you heard the last episode featuring Ken Daniels, you'll be able to uh, see some of those live items. And there's also a silent auction that's going to be posted as well. So uh, again, go to jamiedanielsfoundation.org to get your tickets. That's the roast and toast of Thomas Holmstrom and Nicholas Listrom, presented by Trinity Health. 
if you want to go, if you're if you're planning on going and you want to sit at the uh, Winged Wheel podcast table, uh, DM us uh, at Winged Wheel Pod on Twitter, uh, and uh, we'll see if we have. Uh, there's a potential to add some of you guys to our table. So uh, if you're planning on getting tickets and want to sit with us, uh, DM us. If not, then don't DM us and stay far, far away. I, which is what I would recommend. We're not that fun. Highly. Okay. Let's start out here by looking at the Detroit Red Wings this upcoming season. Why don't we talk first about, you know, what else could come? What was our analysis after the DeBrinket trade of what does this team still need to be a true playoff contender? You know, we, we had the realistic, where is this team now? How could they compete? You know, but looking in the grand scheme of things, still big picture, not necessarily in the immediate in the immediate future. What else does this team need to be a bona fide playoff contender? Well, mostly talent. Uh, <laughs> Good hockey players. Yeah. No, the, the answer is scoring. Uh, again, I don't care if that comes via a sniper, an all-around offensive playmaker, or uh, you know the traditional sense of a playmaker. But you know the reality of being a Stanley Cup contender. You can't have JT Comfer and Robbie Fabry in your top six and expect to compete. Could you maybe sneak into the playoffs? Sure. But if you have Raymond, Larkin, Dabrinkit as your top line, and all three of them are definitively the best players at their position on this team, you know, David Perron at least can keep it interesting, depending what side of the wing he's playing on in any given game. But it's a substantial drop-off from there, and that can't happen. You look at what Vegas's second line did this year, which featured Mark Stone, is probably better than Detroit's first line. As much as I love the Debrinket, Larkin, Raymond possibility, you have to keep, you know, a full scope of the NHL while you're talking about it. You look at what uh, all the top teams are doing and they are not built like the Red Wings are now. And it's not through the style or anything like that. It's just simply talent. Their top two lines are two first lines. The Red Wings have finally scraped together what looks like a sustainable, long-term, viable first line. So if they want to be a really good team in the NHL, they need another one of those. And as of right now, if we want to factor in David Perron's age, they need three players to be able to do that. Some of that could come internal in time, not this year. Maybe Nate Danielson's that guy at second line center. Maybe Marco Casper. I shouldn't even say maybe. Between the two of them, both top 10 picks, one of them better be. Has to be. Absolutely beyond a shadow of a doubt. Maybe one of them shifts to wing and that's two thirds of that line. It's possible. You know, Mazer, Beargren, there's options for guys within who could fill that role. But if you look at the projections for the players they have in the system, I would think all of them, at least two of them, would have to overachieve for that to be the case, which is unlikely for one player to do that, let alone two or three. So is it going to be this offseason? I don't think so. This is one of the few things Eiserman said that I tend to believe him on. But they do need to pursue another top six forward or two or three badly. The gaps are, as Brad stated, like they need top end talent. They need more support so that it's not just, you know, a good first line and then, uh, or a serviceable first line. And then everyone else is just, yeah, it's better than we had in the past. Like that is where the Red Wings are at. It is 
you know, progressively better year over year. But if you're talking long term, you want to be a bona fide playoff team. You're not talking about which one of you or Ottawa or Buffalo is going to uh, sneak into a wild card spot. Then you do need bona fide top end talent in your top six. And yeah, that that comes at forward. I'm of two minds here. First of all, is you do need to see what improvement is going to come within. You know, Raymond is a guy who we've highlighted time after time, but you also want to see how Beargren's going to develop. Is he going to be a guy who's going to float in the middle six, or is he going to be an everyday top six winger who's going to be on your power play and a force to be reckoned with in terms of talent and production? You don't know yet. You want to know how Casper and Danielson pan out. You want to see if is uh, going to be, not Bertuzzi 2.0, Mazer told us himself, he doesn't want to be referred to that way, but is he going to fill that spot in the lineup, or is he going to be kind of uh, more of a depth role guy? How's Amadeus Lombardi going to break through? There's a lot of growth from within that's actually substantial and could happen. It, it's not just GM speak from Eisman. Like there's there's a lot of nodes here where you could get the talent that you need with some time. And there are also other options on the market right now. But you know, spoiler, we'll we'll get into the conversation here in a second. They just are the the acquisition cost to me seems too high. The DeBrinket one was attainable because the Red Wings had leverage gifted to them. Alex DeBrinket wanted to come home to Michigan. He wanted to play for his hometown team. He essentially forced Ottawa's hand, and Detroit had to pay just the right amount for him. They didn't have to overpay, which you typically have to do for a guy of his uh, stature in the NHL and his goal-scoring ability. And then they signed him to a great deal after. That leverage doesn't exist if they want a William Nylander long-term. That leverage doesn't exist really if they want to get Vladimir Tarasenko on the team short term. Clearly it doesn't work for anyone. No, no, Tarasenko's, someone has to figure that one out, but yeah. Yeah. So it it doesn't, I don't want this to sound like, oh, playoffs are impossible this year and the Red Wings aren't going to do anything. I just think for the holes that the roster, that the roster has now, I just don't think it's incredibly likely that they're going to be filled this offseason. Never say never. We could be recording an emergency episode, but again, the the gaps in the roster as are as Brad stated, and there's not a lot out there to fill them with. Yeah, I think I think for free agency, there's they would be done. And now I think the message should be to the prospects, you know, if if you break down the door, the proverbial door, you have a legitimate chance to make this roster now is that great in the short term for contract from a contract perspective maybe not but i think now some of the growth has to come from within you kind of see how teams do at the early and mid points of the season you start to identify your next free agent crop or uh, maybe someone else wants to come to detroit um yeah i think you start looking at at those sorts of things i don't think now given the dust has sort of settled on free agency that there's really any world beaters out there to to bring in. So one of the content uh, pieces that got eliminated when the DeBrinket news came out, you know, at the near hour mark of recording that episode that night when the trade happened, we we gave some time to the whole William Nylander thing. So a lot of people have been asking about it. And we answered that question with the context of the Red Wings hadn't traded for DeBrinket yet. So, you know, let's let's kind of go through this one relatively quickly. William Nylander is a pending UFA. He has one year left on his contract with Toronto. They seem to be miles apart in terms of contract demands. Nylander reportedly wants a number that starts with 10 and is saying, well, if Marner got everything he wanted and more and Matthews is getting everything he wants and more, why should I have to take a haircut of my contract? I actually kind of agree with him. 
it looks like Toronto may be in a position where dealing Nylander is the best option for them because they've passed deadlines to be able to, you know, move the t- the big four, the big three in a way that they wanted to. William Nylander, before the Debrinka trade, we said wasn't terribly likely because he would have to come with an extension and the acquisition cost is so high and, and Debrinka is a much easier target to go through now. So you'd have to see what the acquisition cost is for Debrinka before you even talk about Nylander. Is this even an option? Yes, but it likely won't be, and I'm not sure it should be. And I'm a big William Nylander fan. I really like the player. I mean, you can't like to brink it and then not like Nylander. They are very similar <laughs> players. There's a couple catch twenty twos with this that are that make it very, very different from the Debrinket situation. One, the Leafs are in a, a team that's in the position to acquire rentals. They are going for the Stanley Cup this year. So they're probably perfectly comfortable riding the season out with William Nylander, losing him for nothing at the end of the year. But, you know, see how far they can get in the playoffs this time around. Because, you know, when you trade a player like William Nylander, it is very, very rare that you're going to get a player of his caliber back. It's usually futures or a lesser player and futures to make up the gap. So the Leafs would not likely be a better team this season, which hurts them, obviously, with what their plans are. Two, Nylander's contract demands, though not ludicrous, are high. And if you look at the similarities between Nylander and Dabrinkit, I know Nylander had a much better season this season. Uh, The Red Wings are not paying that. And even if they were, I'm probably not the biggest proponent of paying let's say $18 million to two undersized wingers who have very one-dimensional games, like one-dimensional in terms of offense only. Mm-hmm. So the cap space is probably better utilized on a different type of player, specifically a center, if if you're going big game hunting. So, you know, if you could have Debrinkit and Nylander on the same team, that is a good thing, but it's not going to come at any sort of reasonable cap hit. No, and not that Detroit and Toronto are necessarily competing right now. They're not fighting the same battles. You do take the whole intra-division perspective. It didn't really matter with Eisman and Dorian, but you don't know how Tree Living is going to think about that. I almost said Dubis. Jeez, that's going to take some adjusting. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the, the obvious caveat that Brad stated is you don't do this unless it comes with any kind of extension. But there's if you thought it was a hard sell, to, to get a team to close in and finish the deal. And Detroit had essentially the widest fairway to doing so. Nylander is going to be a, a bloodbath if he's actually on the market. I would imagine that Toronto would only move William Nylander if the return was just astronomical. And yeah. I just don't see the Red Wings putting together a package to make that happen. I, if I'm Toronto, I'm keeping him as a rental. Like, how could you, you couldn't, even the cost to acquire a William Nylander as a rental would be insane. Yeah. So, you know, if your aspirations are to win the Stanley Cup this year, I think you're probably better with William Nylander in your lineup than than not. Yeah, it's it would be really cool for Detroit to add that kind of talent, like size, defensive aptitude, whatever. I don't disagree with you, Brad, in terms of locking up that much money between two guys who have the kind of the same kind of concerns. The Red Wings are still in a spot where they need any talent right now, and then you worry about filling in the gaps later. But yeah, you add that to what it would cost in addition via trade. It just seems unlikely that the Red Wings would be able to get away with getting to Brinkett for not 
a terribly large amount and then do the same thing with Nylander. So the summary on Nylander is, yeah, it'd be really great to have him on the Red Wings. I personally like his game too. I thought his, this last playoffs, he was a big statement for him. You know who he is as a player. He would make any lineup in the league better, but it would have to be at the right price. And if you're going to look at any situation across the league where the bidding is going to get high, this is the one. It also doesn't help that the, his, uh, his contract ends the first year that the cap is poised to rise. So there are a lot more teams that are going to be in on Nylander who maybe wouldn't have been able to be this year. So that's William Nylander. We gave it the time. Now that we said it's not likely going to happen, we'll uh, we'll debate which number he's going to wear for the Red Wings when Eisman inevitably makes that trade. Yeah, because Daniel Sprong just took 88. That's right, and Sprong's not giving that up. Sprong's putting up 30 in that number this year. This year, Let's actually talk about some Red Wings to watch this season. And, you know, the big ones are going to be to brink it. You know, we talked a lot about Lucas Raymond and how if the Red Wings are going to improve at the top end, his improvement, the step that he's poised to take this year is going to drive a lot of that. But who are your other Red Wings to watch? Like, what guy are you looking at and for what reason are you are you going to be intently tracking his progress over the course of the season? Well, there's two that immediately jump to mind. So I'm going to pull a Ryan here and I'm going to go with a defenseman. <laughs> Jake Wallman. Damn it. <laughs> oh, I'll start thinking of somebody else. Jake Wallman was last year a flash in the pan, or is Jake Wallman and Mo Sider a legitimate long-term top pairing? Again, last year they looked every bit the part, but that can't be a one-year thing. If, if they can do that consistently and for another season, that is a huge, huge, huge revelation for the Red Wings because now... They're just filling out the bottom of their defense. Way easier to do than finding a top pairing guy. Because, you know, even though he's got a good chance, I'm still not sold Edmondson's a top pair guy. I don't think Wallander's a top pair guy. I don't think Johansson's a top pair guy. Someone needs to play opposite Mo Sider, and Wallman was that guy last year, and he looked great doing it. So now, again, it changes the entire future of this team if it wasn't a fluke. If your second pair is Edvinson and Sandy Pelka, we're doing all right. You're going to win a lot of hockey games. Yeah. Like, even with the offense they have now, you're still going to win a lot of hockey games. With uh, Wallman, Sider not being a fluke, and then Sandy Pelka, Edvinson is your top pair. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, that means what's That's your, nice. You got, like, Wallander, and it almost doesn't matter who on the third pairing then. Ben Sherratt. Sure, yeah. why not? Maximum chaos. But, uh, yeah, that, that's my big key to the future because again I know it sounds harsh to say I want this team to make the playoffs this year and I want to see improvement I don't care about this season in the grand scheme of things you know what I mean like this season doesn't matter as long as the key markers that we're looking for this year are occurring if they make the playoffs great if they fight for the playoffs great if they finish you know two spots out then how did Raymond do? How did Wallman do? That exactly. stuff matters more. Yeah. You know, Wallman, Raymond, Berggren, Debrinket, they all have great years. And like the depth at forward or the depth at D or the goaltending goes to hell. Yeah. Oh, well, whatever. It sucks. And it, I'd much prefer the alternative, but I don't care about this season. I care about the future. And those are going to be the players I'm looking at because we know Cider and Raymond and Larkin are going to be good and they're going to be key parts of the future. So who are the guys that are going to be playing up in the lineup with them that we're going to see this year? 
I'll save you some time, Evan, or I'll buy you some time, I should say. I don't need it, but you can go. Oh, are you ready? Of course I was born ready. Go ahead. Uh, I have two, but I'll uh, I'll go with Beargrin for now. That was my forward. Yeah, I, I know. That's why I had to get it out <laughs> as soon as possible. Um, you know, came up last year, had an excellent season, did not really look out of a place other than he looks like he is a child. But in terms of his game, didn't really look out of place to me. So for with all the additions on forward, um, you know, my my questions are where does he slot in the lineup? It's probably a lot lower than in the lineup than I would prefer, but you know, how does he navigate the season playing on a lower uh, line in the lineup? It for me, it'll be interesting just to see how he sort of navigates everything this season. Maybe he starts up higher in the lineup than I thought, and it'll be interesting to see how he seizes those opportunities. I think there's still lots of room for growth uh, with Beargren. It'll this will be a very interesting season for him. Yeah, with Beargren, it's he reminds me a lot, or he kind of triggers that that point that Brad made in a previous episode of the Red Wings now have, even though it's not top-end talent on every line, they have enough talent where on every line you could reasonably see you know, a wave of potential offense. And Berggren right now with the phase of his development that he's in, he's not likely to be in the top six. I would love to be wrong. Obviously. Maybe he goes on a heater. Yeah. But if he's you know, in your bottom six, that is still a lot of offense to have in your bottom six. And if you have Daniel Sprong in your middle six and Robbie Fabry or Michael Rasmussen, one of them is likely to be there. There's, there's going to be that kind of talent. And yeah, Berggren's kind of that marquee player in there. His big thing over the course of the season is you could tell the other team or his opponents were targeting him physically. Smaller player, newer to the league. You push him around, you bully him. That's just the NHL game, especially one of the talent like he has. Yep. But he's a smart player. Like We talk a lot about his offensive IQ, his hockey IQ, and it's not just you know playmaking or, or a great pass. It's he knows where to be on the power play. He kind of positions himself on the right side of the net and clean up a lot of garbage. He, he did that how many times last season? And that kind of efficiency is important. I mean... <laughs> Alex Chason probably played the Red Wings out of a, a higher draft pick by how efficient he was on a power play. So you don't need to be a world beater to to improve this team right now. The bar is very, very low. And Berggren has a talent where, you know, middle to long term, he should be, in my mind, a contender to be an everyday top six guy. But for now, he could have a great season even in a developing aspect. Was that your person as well? No, no, I'm just oh, okay. kind of, okay. yeah. My, mine is uh, a little bit more of a, uh, running it back, I'm I'm watching Andrew Kopp this year. Andrew Kopp last year coming off of a big contract signing with Detroit, had his core surgery, missed the preseason, a lot of development and, uh, sorry, you know, shaking off the rust and in, in getting up to NHL game speed over the offseason. And you could tell he was rusty and just not, I don't want to say not in game shape, but not up to NHL speed to start the year. The kind of surgery he had, the core surgery, more about it came out over the course of the season in terms of familiarity with how it affects players. Steven Stamkos talked about how long it took him to get back up to speed, and it it aligned a lot more with what we were seeing. Because with Andrew Kopp, it wasn't a few weeks. It was a few months, really, before we saw him turn it on. He ended the season with 42 points in 82 games, which isn't terrible. Like, and a lot of that came on the back half, especially his stronger play. You know, I, I haven't looked at the exact numbers, but if you went and broke down his game-by-game impacts, I guarantee you, 2023 was way, way better than 2022. And if Andrew Kopp in his uh, age 29 year can come in and have a 50, maybe even 60 point year, that contract feels a lot better. One of Kopp or Comfort has to be the Red Wings second line center this year. Plain and simple. 
The only way that changes in my mind, and it's a good thing, is if Casper or Danielson come out and shock us all. For me, Andrew Kopp is poised to do, to do that. We saw enough of him that was positive last year for me to believe in him as a player. You know, Eiserman had to pay a premium on term for Kopp. The price is whatever. That's acquiring guys in UFA. It costs a lot. He had to pay a premium in term. So a lot of people are looking at that contract and saying, is that going to be an anchor? I think Kopp could come out and have a really good year. And it's, I mean, it's on him to do it. But if he hits that 50 or 60 point mark, you'll feel a lot better. Well, Ryan, I got news for you. Uh, one of Cop or Comfer will be the Red Wings' second line center this year, deserved or not. That's what I mean. Like, what? <laughs> sorry, when I say that, I mean one of them has to de- play a deserving second line center role. Like Comfer was, you know, had to play in, a, in as a two C in Colorado out of necessity last year. He had better teammates than he'll have in Detroit now. But I don't want it to be a situation where you look and you're like, oh yeah, you know. They did fine, all things considered, or it, it was kind of dragging them down offensively. I think there's more there to cop, even if he's not the flashiest player in the world. I would certainly hope so for what they paid for him. And we know there is, but, you know, this is the conundrum with free agents is there definitely is and has been more to Andrew Cop, but he's what, 28, 29 now? Just turned 29, yeah. Yeah, so we're at the stage of the career where... Well, progression is probably not in the cards anymore. So we're hoping that he's regressing to the mean because of the injury. And, you know, that, that definitely needs to happen. Otherwise, you know, because this is the free, this is people always jump in when I say this, because if he doesn't, this contract's a disaster. I understand that that could likely be as a result of the injury and through nobody's fault, the injury occurred, but the contract's still a disaster if that happens. If he plays like how he did in 2023 for the the next few years, I think that's perfectly fine. Like you're talking 42 points every year? No, like his, like... Oh, like the second half of the season? Yeah. Yeah, that would be fine. That absolutely is fine. And if he can maintain that level all the way to 33 years old, that is great. Again, post-injury plus aging curve, I have concerns. I'm, again, I did see enough from COP last year that those concerns have been reduced, but they're still there. He's still 29. He's still coming off major surgery, and he's still not going to have a lot of help on the second line. I think he might not even be on the second line. That could be Comfort. It could be Comfort. But you know what? Based on what we saw is why I'm, I'm looking at, cop i'm not sitting here guaranteeing it saying yeah it's absolutely going to happen but it there was enough that you saw there last season where you're like nope the cop is a good contributing player to this team he just needed to shake off the rust and get up to speed and i don't want to conflate that with oh he's going to get better and better every year for the rest of his contract no father time's undefeated as evidenced by brad's decrepit aging body practically dust a medical miracle that you can even set up in your chair right now i'm i am so tired right now i actually could fall asleep Without you guys noticing right now. We'll get you back to the uh, the home after this. Don't worry. Please. Yeah, it's pudding night. But, dude, you'd say that. You're sending me to a building where I get relatively quiet. People will wash and feed me. This sounds like heaven. No, it's okay. We'll bring your kids to hang out with you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, but for, in all honesty, it's like, like, I'm not trying to be delusional about where Cop is in his development curve or his aging curve. But, you know, age 29, age 30, age 31, those, are, those should still be, if not 
your most productive years at age 29, it shouldn't trail off too much. And I'm pretty hopeful or optimistic that, you know, the 2023 second half of the last season cop is what we can see this year, pending health, of course. So between him and Comfort, yeah, you want one of them to step up and, and seize that second line role. And I think it's it's not crazy to say it could go decently. Not, neither, let's be very realistic about the players they are. Neither of them are going to be in, you know, the NHL's top 20 most productive players by any means. This isn't going to be Mark Stone on the second line level productive. That's just not what the Red Wings have. But there's a way for them to fit into the lineup as is and still be not a drag on the second line. Going into next season, the Red Wings have projected, what, eight-ish million dollars? You know, there's obviously going to be smaller moves here and there. LTIR is going to come into play and and whatever else uh, injuries dictate. What else do you think the Red Wings could do? Or do you think they're going to sit with that cap room? Because Steve Eisman said in his press conference that, you know, he's not opposed to making a move and going up to the cap. They're not limited by, you know, an internal limit. The Red Wings haven't been as long as this team has been competitive or in the last few generations. I, it's just not a thing. The NHL salary cap is low enough where I don't think anyone is is con- concerned about the ability to spend to the cap. But Eisman essentially said, there's not really a need or we're not in that position right now, but if the right player comes up, we would do it. Do you see any kind of path to utilizing more of that cap space between now and the end of next season? Do I see a path? Yeah. Is it an extremely likely one? No, because the Red Wings have 14 to 15 viable NHL forwards right now, only three of whom are probably legit top six forwards at this point in their careers. They have seven to eight viable NHL defensemen, depending on Edvinson's health come opening night. And they have three viable NHL goaltenders. They're full. They're over full. Mm -hmm. So going out and bringing in more, you know, Shane Gostisbehere, JT Comfort level players is almost useless at this point. You know, if you get a really good bargain on a guy, sure, why not? The only path, that being said, so the only path I see to them using that cap space in any significant way is if one of the Tarasenko's or Kane's struggles to have their contract needs met. If the tight cap around the NHL is pricing out a lot of contenders, if not most contenders, and a couple of these guys are sitting at the table going, am I taking a huge pay cut to win or am I going to go get paid somewhere and, you know, whatever happens, happens. I don't think it's extremely likely, you know, teams will make room for a Tarasenko or a Patrick Kane if they are motivated enough, which for those players, teams will be motivated enough, you know, even with their flaws. So I, I don't think it's extremely likely the Red Wings utilize that cap in any significant way throughout the rest of this season. Yeah, I think the way you you phrased it with they have a lot of those players who are middling is maybe a tough, but you know they're not top end. No, it's it's the right word. Middling players where you have enough, and at at some point you're just kind of creating a problem for the players to break in. In terms of like the roster's fullness, I think they're at the right spot right now. Where if Mazer or if Casper, if Edvinson, you know, depending his health after shoulder surgery, comes in and takes the the choice away from them at camp and just performs extremely well, they'll have the opportunity to do that, but they won't be forced to play those players. Like you mentioned, Evan, you don't want to be in a situation where you're playing them out of necessity. So, yeah, I 
if something comes up at the deadline where you can facilitate a deal, then great. This is kind of the last year before the cap is poised to rise. So the clock is ticking if you're going to get much else out of this cap space. But you can still do so. There's Teams are going to spend to the cap again. So it's not like the Red Wings are never going to be able to do it. And essentially the answer is you don't spend for no reason. And yeah, you, you never know how the season materializes with other teams, right? Like some te- seasons go off the rails when they didn't expect it. Players become disgruntled and want out. Like very much could be opportunities there to to continue to spend or or make some uh some hockey moves. Yeah. So, yeah, I wouldn't say anything's nothing is certain for sure, but uh that's always an opportunity or an area to explore. Let's take a look at those prospects that we said might break into the team or any of the Red Wings prospects actually for this next little bit here. Who is your prospect to watch this season? And this is going to be, you know, likely a Grand Grand Rapids Griffin season for most of the prospects. Who are you really keeping your eye on in terms of the Red Wings pipeline? Why? What do you think a successful season is for them? And, you know, does it mean any games in in the winged wheel for Detroit? Oh, God. This question sucks. I could literally give six names and have just as much justification for all of them. All my questions suck, Brad. With where this team is at. Because, like, this is such a huge year for Casper, Mazur, Danielson, Sandine Pelica, Kosa, all of them. Hugely critical seasons for themselves personally and for the future of the Red Wings, right? If you want a second player after the whole class has a turn, then you can give a second player. How about that? <laughs> Sure. I well, I just doing math here. There will be. So we'll get two each. Oh my god. Okay. So I'm gonna pick one player for kind of dumb reasons, but whatever. In terms of proximity to the Red Wings and how you have to have a successful rebuild, the guy I'm watching closely this year is Carter Mazer. I don't think he's the most important prospect in the system. I don't even think he's necessarily the closest player to cracking through to the NHL in the system. But we've said time and time again, you need to find studs outside of the first round. You have to. You just, you have to. And Mazur right now is looking like the Red Wings' best bet to be that guy. I think we can all sit here with a reasonable amount of certainty and go, Danielson's going to be a really good NHLer. Casper's going to be a really good NHLer. Edvinson, uh, you know, uh, Axel Sandine Pelica. To what degree is the question with those guys? Carter Mazur was an afterthought third-round pick who has a very legitimate shot of being a offensive threat in an NHL top six. If he continues his progression and has a year in Grand Rapids where he is, you know, a point-per-game player or hovering around there, man, that is a gigantic boost to this rebuild because now all of a sudden, on top of this stable of first-round picks Eisenman has accumulated in his tenure— He's got a third-round pick now who's going to be contributing more than maybe some of them might. So for me, I'll say Carter Mazur because that's kind of like the power-up bonus you get in Super Mario. I'll add on uh, Lombardi as well, all for sort of the same reasons Brad mentioned. Um, I know we we say, oh, this team lacks superstar talent or needs upper echelon elite talent. It's like, well... Eventually, one of your second, third, fourth, fifth rounders has to hit, and I think those are the two guys that are earmarked to have have success more likely than they are not. Do I think either have a good chance of making it out of camp? No, not really. But if we're going to be talking just watching prospects, I think those two are kind of the ones 
that everybody should be really excited about. Simon Edvinson to me is a player who's going to have a little bit of an interesting year. It's not ideal for him to have had shoulder surgery coming into this offseason. Player his age and size, you really want, want him to fill out in terms of strength, muscle, you know, work on his game in the offseason. Defensemen have an especially hard time getting up to speed in the NHL. It typically takes them longer. Defensive hockey IQ is a thing, but, you know, how you execute it in the game, like even the smartest of defensemen struggle. They make, you know, poor mistakes and they're out of position and they get burned. Look at Sider, look at Dolene, look at any of the defensemen who kind of came up and who are considered smart defensemen in their own end, they still make those mistakes. So for Edvinson to, you know, lose in some capacity that offseason is going to be difficult for him. I'm not going to say he's going to have a bad year for that reason. I'm not going to say he's behind the eight ball, but he's really going to have to work to earn his spot on the team. And it might not be there, which may be a surprise considering he played his nine games for Detroit. And I think he looked good. Like From it, preseason to those nine games was like a complete change of player. 100%. He had a really good year of development. So for me, success is he finds his way back onto the roster by the end of next season. But I could see a lot of outcomes here where he doesn't, but you're still happy with his progression because Grand Rapids has a new coach come in. They have a little bit of a different uh, outlook and mindset, and he has a good year developing there. But he's really going to have to kind of grind and battle to kind of make up for lost time. You hope that the injury is on the shorter end of the the time span. If you ever want a little cheat code, whenever NHL teams give long-term recovery windows, it's almost always on the shorter end of it, if not even shorter than what they propose. Like if they say six to eight months and you see the guy at five months, that's probably what they figured the entire time, but they don't want to over-promise. It's easier Mm -hmm. to under-promise and over-deliver. So... I hope that's the case with Edvinson. You know, is it imperative for him to come out, be an NHL regular this season, and automatically be a a second-pair defenseman and fight for a first-pair spot? No, obviously you would love that, but based on the the shoulder surgery, you kind of have to give him a longer window. So if it's still Grand Rapids, that's okay, but you want to see that kind of progression where, as Evan said, like, wow, from start of the year to now, he has really, really worked on his game because he's a guy extremely skilled, extremely talented, a lot of edges to kind of smooth out, and that's been his MO since he was drafted. Yeah, and, you know, sixth overall pick. Yeah. You have to. You have to. You can't miss on these uh, to have a successful rebuild, especially when you don't have any one, two, or three overall picks to supplement. Exactly. Or you could be the Rangers and just have first and second overall picks whiff. Yeah, and then just go trade and sign all the best free agents. Which the Red Wings have clearly had a great time doing. Hey, they're on a roll right now. You can have another prospect now, Brad. Okay, I'm going to go against logic here, and I'm just going with the one in my heart. I'm watching a lot of Axel Sandin Pelica this year. If we're talking pure ceiling, he might have the highest of any anybody in the Red Wings system right now. You know, this guy has a legitimate chance to be an offensive right-handed superstar from the, you know, blue line, which is a lofty ceiling. And, you know, we've talked at length about how likely players are to hit their ceiling. And, you know, begrudgingly, most fans seem to admit now that it's far less likely to happen than they would like to think. But the ceiling is there for Sandy and Pelica. You know, we've seen what he's done at the U18s and in junior and and leading to this point where it's not just that he's been good at those levels. 
He's been dominant. He's been the best, which is crazy. And again, we talk about the fact that despite only being 5'10", 5'11", he does not have that many defensive shortcomings. Like he has a very well-rounded game with this elite offensive mind that he possesses. So if he can turn into that guy in a 17th overall pick, which I'd be remiss if I didn't point out is right around where Eric Carlson was drafted. (laughs) All right, everybody take a drink. Hit the big red button on your desk. See, the best part about that bit is I do it now only, only to bother Ryan, and it works every time, and it pleases me so. I need to find a better button for that instead of the uh, air horn. It's just what was in front of me. There's got to be better ones in there. But either way, the Red Wings, despite everything they have in the system and despite all the moves they still need to make, are not likely going to be able to build that team that is an offensive dynamo up front. It's just the way the chips fell for them, it's probably not going to happen. They still need to add some pieces, but they're never going to have the offense of a Tampa or a Vegas or an Edmonton or a Toronto. It's just, it's not possible in the market with their draft lottery luck and with the reluctancy of uh, free agents to come to Detroit. But they can build a stout blue line. They're already there. And if they can get a substantial amount of offense from the blue line, that could help. You know, you can get offense from all five players on the ice. Here's the catch 22. The Red Wings, uh, quote unquote, offensive defenseman in the NHL and in the system outside of Sandine Pelica, uh, almost non-existent. Sider's got some offense. Willinder can bring some offense. Like, and I'm talking to a meaningful level, like not that these other guys are incompetent offensively. No, but they're not known as the, you know, the, yeah. they, no one, none of these guys have Latang or Carlson comparables. Exactly. Sandine Pelica does. And he might be the only one in the system, not named Mo Sider that could ever put up a 50 point season from the blue line. So that could be a real good way to help the gr- the grand scheme of the offensive problems the Red Wings have and are going to have. Speaking of defensemen, I'm curious to see what Willinder and Johansson do. Edvinson gets so much of the airtime because he's, you know, the, the premier left shot defensive prospect that the Red Wings have. But you, you talked to some folks over the course of last season. They thought, no, Johansson's closer. or, or Willinder's going to come over and really surprise. And Willinder had himself a great season over in Sweden. So with these guys in North America now and and how close are they to making the team, there's an opportunity for them. Like we might see a changing of the guard quicker than anticipated in Detroit and it could come in one big wave. They, they could force Eisenman's hand or Derek Lolone's hand and all of a sudden guys who are on the roster now are being moved out or scratched or whatever it might be or maybe injuries, That's which is typically how it goes, open up opportunities. But I'm curious to see how they really kind of push the roster above them this year. And Willinder especially, I know Eisenman doesn't love playing defensemen on their offside, so Willinder's left-handed, but he does play right D, or, or has quite a bit. So I'm curious to see where he lands as well. You know, the Red Wings did pick up Sandine Pelica for the, the right side behind Mo Sider, hopefully in the future. Will Willinder do the same thing? Don't know. But no matter what, like there's talent behind Edvinson, and it's not just him. Brad's right. Like, there's not none of these guys are you. You can't pin them up on a board and say yes, absolutely, they're going to be top pair guys. But they could potentially be those diamonds in the rough, like Brad referred to with Carter Mazer, but just uh, from the defensive end. So both Willinder and Edvinson, or both Willinder and uh, uh, Johansson, I should say, 
or guys to to watch. Your little spiel there, while very good and made a ton of sense, just made me angrier about the state of the Red Wings blue Classic. line right now. Welcome to the Wing Wheel Podcast. Well, no, folks. think about this. <laughs> yeah, no, but legit, think about this. I don't think Sandine Pelica's three plus years away. Willinder and Johansson are definitely not three years away. They should be arriving sooner than that. And that's not even to speak of what might happen with Booyam and some of the other guys. Assuming Cider gets an extension, which I think is a pretty safe bet. Yeah. <laughs> Four of the six blue liners on the Red Wings right now are signed for three or more years, and Mata has two years left as well. That and is, that's what the, the cider yeah. extension assumption. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That is not a lot of space for a lot of good prospects. So, you know, just circling back to uh, one of the reasons I was angry about the whole contract. But but as, as you were, Ryan, talking about happier things. The thing is, and we, we talked about this not enough, I found it in free agency, you can still make moves. For reasons unbeknownst to a lot of people, GMs do love to trade for the whole types, the Sherrod types. And if your prospects are doing so well where, you know, you're using two to three other spots and Hole and Sherrod are either at the bottom pair or one of them is healthy and, and up at the press box or whatever it might be, a lot can change between now and then. So if we're it, talking... Well, it has to for this ha- team to contend. It oh, has to. 100% you're We right. better... And I, I mean this very literally. We better be sitting here in two years having the conversations about how we're going to unload some of these players because we need to get Willinder, Johansson, whoever through. Agreed. And I will go so far as to say I think that's part of Eisman's plan. Yeah. Which is a risky thing to say to assume anything of what goes on in Eisman's head. But I genuinely mean it. I think that's part of his plan. He has revealed a little bit of that. He's He's kind of hinted at it like, you can make those moves down the road, and it's not also static and baked in. The NHL has, I feel, opened up a little bit more in terms of moving those contracts around since, you know, the the middle Ken Holland era. And again, the Sherratt types, the whole types, whoever. Oli Mata could be, he. people are going to see how he performs in Detroit and say, wow, I would love that kind of stabilizing force on my team, especially for a cup run maybe. Like, you can make those moves down the road it's not impossible. It's just hard to conceptualize why would you sign a guy only to want to trade him? Well, it's because your young guys aren't ready, but they might be in two years. So you pay the price you have to pay in free agency to get them to come here, but down the road, maybe you have to move them. Well, that's the one thing I have noticed with, I'll say, a small segment of NHL GMs is they have now understood the value of addition by subtraction. You look at, you know, Chicago was, you know, as much as I hate to give them credit for anything, the first team to really understand that cap space is valuable, flexibility is valuable. So when after they won that first cup and every player wanted a raise and they went into salary cap hell, they're like, all right, bye. We're going to trade you. We're going to not sign you. We're going to buy you, whatever. We are going to be aggressive in moving you. And, you know, Tampa has followed suit and a bunch of other teams have followed suit in terms of, yeah, okay. We will do what we have to do. We will trade a draft pick, a good draft pick, to get this contract off our books. We will buy this guy out and eat whatever the hell we have to because we can replace him with a better player for less money than the difference on that buyout. So that is in my head. The Obviously, the Red Wings haven't had to do that in any sort of aggressive way yet because all the buyouts and everything they've had has either been weird circumstances or just aggressively bad players relative to the contract. Mm-hmm. So there is very much the hope that that is ultimately Eisenman's plans. Like, yeah, okay, we've got Sherratt and Hole for three more years each. 
we know that they're not going to be good in year three, but it's a stopgap. And whenever these next guys are ready, we send these guys to Mars, like, you know, whatever you have to do. That is the hope. And I think that probably is, you're right. That probably is the plan. Yeah. Just to be like, all right, every one of our defensemen not named Mo Sider right now at this moment is expendable. We just need the guy who's next in line to show that it's worth getting rid of that guy. Kick down the door. Yeah. Like literally it sounds bad. They need to kick a player into the press box. hundred percent. And something in terms of uh, an analysis point of view, something that I find myself guilty of doing is, you know, Ken Holland era late when it got bad. And I've said time and time again, Ken Holland should have a statue wherever the Red Wings are playing at the LCA for the success he had with the team. But the late Ken Holland era, like that was problematic. That was very, very hard for Steve Eisman to come in and untangle. A lot of it had to be addition by subtraction. And we have such an aversion to unoptimized use of cap space because the Red Wings were up against a cap in one of the worst teams in the league for how long? They couldn't buy they, they couldn't buy cap space. And now that they have it, you're like, oh, money on a buyout, that was avoidable. Or, or retained money, that's avoidable. But it's there to use. And you just have to kind of shake off the PTSD of when the Red Wings were that worst of both worlds kind of thing. And so that's, I've really had to kind of get over that mentally in my head to say, using buyout money to, to get a little better, you know, you know, buying out Yamamoto because he didn't fit into your team, whether or not you agree with that move, it's inexpensive and you have the cap space so you can use it. As long as you're not getting crazy with it because GMs do get insane with it. You know, Minnesota. Philly just had to buy out D'Angelo and he shouldn't have been signed in the first place to that deal. It was bad from the previous GM and now Danny Breer is paying the price to clean it up. And even though it hurts, that is addition by subtraction. That cap space is better use elsewhere. You just have to kind of shift or I had to kind of shift the way I thought about it. And it's almost like for those who play fantasy sports, fantasy football or whatever, the teams who are often really, really successful are the ones who are really active, working the waiver wire, making deals, always trying to optimize their lineup. Not universally, a lot of it's luck and, and really good drafting, but you're active, you're using the tools available to you, you're using your free agency budget if you're in one of those leagues, it'll get you far. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up PTSD from the Holland era because every time we have these conversations along these lines, I have to fight the urge so hard to not make some comment about, oh, yeah, well, it'll be great while well, Linder sits in Grand Rapids for four years. Because at least this regime, okay, players ready, bring them up. Yeah. They, they've shown they're willing to do that. Um, Raymond obviously being the hallmark of that to this point. So this, you know, old shtick about over-ripening prospects doesn't hopefully resurface because that would also be very problematic for the rebuild. Yeah, that one's been completely absent in my mind. From yeah, it has been. There hasn't been a prospect in the Eisman area where we've been sitting here going, why the hell isn't he in the NHL? Whereas in the last, like you said, five to six years of the Holland era, it felt like there were one or two of those every season. Yeah. All right, some remaining Red Wings news. It's just a couple minor contracts. Both Wyatt Newpower and Jared McIsaac were signed to... Uh, one-year, two-way contracts at $787,500. So again, one or two-way doesn't affect whether or not they're waiver eligible. It's just how much they get paid in the NHL versus the AHL. Neither one of these guys is going to be likely to be kicking down the door for a Red Wings roster spot. I don't want to write off Jared McIsaac, who's had some, I think, unfortunate injury luck over time, but there's a lot. <laughs> think of all the defensemen we named who are technically or in practice ahead of him on the Red Wings prospect chart, but, you know, depth signings and uh, guys to look out for in Grand Rapids. 
Evan, you've escaped. We're not going to ask you for your way too early season projections. We can save that for when we're closer to next season. Fair enough. Some news from across the NHL, some signings coming through. Uh, Tanner Janot, the most recent two-year, $2.665 million contract. Alex Newhook in Montreal, four-year, $2.9 million. Are they trying to redo the uh, Kirby Doc thing over there? I was going to say, boy, do they love their reclamation projects. Yeah. Hey, Kirby Doc worked for them. It did work. Keandre Miller, two-year deal for 3872 That seems really good, right? That is an absolute steal because it's probably, the Rangers probably know what's happening here. Yeah. Hey, we can't afford you right now for what you're probably worth, so we're going to give you a bridge deal until we have a bit more cap room. And if you keep playing the way you've been playing, you're going to get the absolute Brinks truck in your driveway yeah. the second that contract comes up. Yeah, so good now, but in two years, let's see how that Oof. feels. It's kind of similar to Dallas and Jason Robertson when a they had to thousand pay him, but they might not care. It, it's you get a cup in those two years. Yeah, you don't care what happens after that. It's also GMs buying themselves time too. Like yeah. we just said, oh, Eiserman can do this, this, and that to free up cap space. They can make tough decisions between then and now. Look at Vegas. Vegas now that they want a cup, if teams weren't copying Vegas already, like they are going to be copied left, right, and center. And they are a team who, more than anyone else in my mind, is not afraid to make a tough decision for their roster. Well, I hope that's I hope that's the case because then that makes the league a lot more entertaining. Yeah, they're willing to just cut guys loose and make big trades. Hundred percent. And I think you'll see more as the cap goes up too. Like I'm so curious to see what happens. This next uh, upcoming cap increase is just the first one. It's going to go up again, and after that, it's going to be affected by revenues. Let's see what they do in terms of actually growing the sport and bringing more money in. Goodness knows, I, I hope they're getting paid a fortune for those terrible board ads, but... Probably not. Probably not. Okay. Award-winning board ads. That's right. Fans love them. Fans love them. Notably, fans love them. Uh, Andre Kopitar also extended in LA for uh, two years, seven million a season. And how are you going to be mad at that one if you're a Kings fan? This is the closest thing to, to Patrice Bergeron in the league in my mind. He can maybe afford a one-bedroom apartment. In L.A.? Yeah, yeah, that's right. People are making that joke. <laughs> You're talking about Zadina going out to San Jose. It's like, oh, man, rent in California. Good luck. Not good, bud. Yeah. Okay. Why don't we take this opportunity to jump into overtime. Overtime on this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Patreon.com slash Winged Wheel Podcast if you want to support the show. Again, you get benefits like the bonus episodes, the Discord, the giveaways, and what it allows us to do is continue to grow the show. We have the expanded Winged Wheel Podcast content universe. Uh, there's a show called Expected by Whom, hosted by Sean Shapiro and Prashant Iyer, which you should absolutely listen to. Follow them on Twitter as well. It allows us to support the Jamie Daniels Foundation and their fight against substance use disorder. And it also allows us to run partnered events with the Detroit Red Wings. So Winged Wheel Podcast Nights at the LCA, uh, we put up all the costs for that, and uh, and that's out of our pockets. So uh, our patrons are what allows us to do that. So it's a great way to get the fans together and, again, generate more support for the Jamie Daniels Foundation. So, again, patreon.com slash podcast. Uh, Drew Peebles says, uh, what two Red Wings all time would you want to add to this current roster to make it a contender? We'll make it easy and take Helm off the table since we know he'd be all of your first picks. Steve Eisenman, Nick Lidstrom. Yeah, that's... That would help significantly. Yeah. If you don't want to go Nick Lidstrom, you can go Sergei Fedorov. You, you can go a lot of directions. Do we, do we get the player in their prime, even if it was for another team? That's what I'm assuming. Okay, that opens it up a little bit. Dominic Hasek. I'm thinking Hasek. Hasek probably gets a real long... He's the greatest goalie of all time. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. 
Uh, Samuel Soderholm says, first off, good on you, Ryan, for finally finally having nailed the pronunciation of my last name. Finally, I feel like I've been saying it right the whole time. Shit. <laughs> well, I, I'm sure I messed it up then. Uh, sorry about that, Samuel. says, uh, what do you guys think the ceiling is for Beargrin and how do you deploy him to help reach said ceiling? Well, that's the catch-22 because what's, you know, overall success for the team, the player's ceiling doesn't matter because for a player to reach their ceiling, they probably have to play higher in the lineup than they probably should. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, if you put Beargrin on the second line this year, he's probably going to have a really good year. Is that what's best for the team? Eh, maybe. It could be, but maybe not. I don't know. I think Beargrin's ceiling is like a 50-ish point middle six winger who can be a primary distributor on the power play. And like that ceiling, I don't think he's ever going to be like a 70, 80 point guy. I don't, he doesn't have the tools for that. So if he can get to that 50 plus point mark, I think we're real happy. I think ultimate ceiling is a bit higher than that. I'm not saying like an every, every year, year in, year out point per game guy, but I think it could be closer to that then maybe not but that's again low probability of him reaching that ultimate ceiling admiral matt s at the cheeseback navy says is this potentially the biggest trade by the wings in our recent memory i believe this is the biggest trade since 01 when we sent kozlov in a first to buffalo for hashik before that i think you have to go back to 96 when we sent keith primo paul coffee and a first to hartford for brendan shanahan both of those trades got us stanley cups yes the mantha verona trade was big in context but verona and mantha were not 40 goal scorers or multi multi Vesna winning goaltenders and future Hall of Famers. To be clear, I'm not saying just getting to Brinkett will win us a cup, but this is a giant piece that I believe will move the needle forward by a significant margin. I want to hear your thoughts on this. Keep up the good work as always, Dub Dubs. Yeah, I'm struggling to think of a super impactful trade that, you know, wasn't like acquiring futures in a long, long time. I actually was trying to pull up a, a group chat from like 2022, like late 2022 when we were having just a general conversation of what does this team do and we were going through the list of what is actually realistic but almost no chance of it happening because it just doesn't happen in the NHL or to Detroit and Dabrinkit was brought up. Like Dabrinkit was at the top of the list of what is feasible with all eventualities in the universe but extremely unlikely. This is absolutely the biggest trade in a generation of Red Wings fandom in my mind and it's not close. It's the biggest news we've had on the show, I have to go check the stats, but I think it's our most listened to episode of all time. <laughs> Holy shit. Like, it, and not particularly close. Like, it shot up the board. And it came after free agency and draft. And those are our two biggest episodes every year without fail. Mm -hmm. And it cleared them in an instant. Like, this is absolutely the biggest news we've had in the podcast history the last 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, undoubtedly in my mind. Yeah, Brian Rafalski was a free agent, right? He wasn't a trade? Yeah. Yeah, so, like, impactful acquisition of a player via trade. 0-1 feels right. Yeah. The Red Wings did trade Pavel Datsuk. <laughs> now, what a different time when we thought, Shut yeah. Up. No, I'm happy this episode. <laughs> Don't. Stamkos didn't even come. Shut up! <laughs> okay, he didn't next. even answer the phone. <laughs> next question from the gyms says, hey, boys. What would you like to see the NHL add to enhance the offseason? I see people talk about a summer league, but what about a street hockey or roller hockey tournament mixed with average Joes uh, versus prospects? I will take any entertainment where we can throw beer leaguers in with the NHL so people just know the different level they are on. Because, again, that's my biggest thing that I try to convey to every average hockey fan so they can enjoy the game more 
it is almost impossible to understand how, like how far beyond your average hockey player these guys are. Guys in that play in my shitty semi-pro league get clowned by the worst player in the NHL. Clowned. If Justin Hole decided to play forward and came and played in the top level semi-pro league in Canada, he would score four goals a game if he tried. Mm -hmm. Like, it's so hard to fathom. So yeah, give me a summer league. I don't care who's playing. Throw in one beer leaguer per team. I'm watching every minute. The Angry Ginger says uh, when Mazer... Actually, one thing I will say, going back, I, I liked watching Joe, Joe Pavelski in the uh, the PGA. It's not PGA, but it's like the Pro-Am that yep. they run. There's no reason why fans wouldn't like to see what players do in their offseason like that. Like, if mm-hmm. you want to like do a golf tournament, do like a roller hockey thing for the... Pro, like, the, the prospects are way easier to get out there. Like, convince Trevor Zegras and the Hughes kids and all of them to go out there and do like a roller hockey or even just like a pickup... Not pickup, but you know what I mean, style tournament. That'd be great. Like, a pro-am style golf outing for NHL players. Like, it's not going to hit every target every time. But make sure hockey doesn't disappear from people's minds for three, four, five months at a time. Remember the stories um, from a bunch of years ago that Michael Ryder moonlit as a ball hockey goalie in the offseason? Yeah. I oh, would watch wow. the shit out of that. 100%. And they do. They have, what is it, the Debutes League or whatever it is? Uh, Debuty League, yeah. Yeah. Like they're, they, they do do stuff. Like, they do go out there and... But they don't advertise it. They don't broadcast no. it. It's it's like you get it through social media clips, which is better than nothing. But what but, if we said time... And also with the roller hockey thing, what if we said time and time again? Like, hockey's a very expensive sport. Ice time is scarce. It's not... It's just flat out not possible with infrastructure and accessibility as it is right now to get every kid on the ice. You'd love to. But just get a stick in their hands, teach them about street hockey, teach them about roller hockey. And if you make like a summer roller hockey league, the big marquee advertisement for that concept and it's a year-long initiative, oh God, it just makes too much sense. NHL, uh, DM us if you want to send, if you want to know where to send the royalty checks. Uh, the Angry Ginger says, when Mazer eventually cracks the lineup, what do you expect his first season to look like? Not a top 10 pick like Raymond, but would you think uh, it to be having similar production as Raymond's first year? Also, what do you expect Sider's contract to come in at AAV-wise? Um, I don't think Mazer's first year will look like Raymond's because Raymond's rookie year, he had like 60 points. I would think if Mazer can put up 40-plus in his first year, he's doing great. And Sider's AAV, I'm going to say 9-plus a bit. I still think comes in under 9. I, I think as Are we get talking on a bridge or long-term? Long-term. I think it's over nine if it's long term. Yeah, you and I are far apart on that one. I don't think he's going to get in for like six million or anything like that. But maybe I'm not factoring in the the rise in the cap enough here. But I just feel like and the fact he's a jack of all trades, right handed number one defenseman. They're going to look at the well. His production this year is going to dictate a lot. Like if he has production this year similar to last year overall, I I think they'll be able to get him in under nine. If he breaks 50 points again this year, he's going to be closer to 10 than 9. Oh, no, no, no. That's getting too high. If he breaks 50 they points won't, again? They won't let him get that far above Kale McCarr. Plain and simple. Yeah, but that's cherry picking. There is a lot of yeah. 9 to $9.5 million defensemen that most Sider is already better than. Yeah, but those aren't convenient to my argument, Brad. Yeah, no, because uh, Darnell Nurse or Mo Sider? I think I'm taking Mo Sider. 
Most of probably getting into that Charlie McAvoy tier. What about Seth Jones? You taking Seth Jones or Mo Sider? Bad contract. It's a horrible contract, but you think Mo Sider's camp's going to take care about that? That's convenient for them. What yeah. are you? Where are you on this, Evan? I don't know. We'll have to do a full episode, and I'll That's play right. Arbiter. That's right. Yeah, you know what? The uh, the Sider-Raymond potential extensions are future content, so I'll stop borrowing from our future selves right now. Actually, hold on. I'll have my exact prediction now that I think about it because I know exactly how the Detroit Red Wings operate. Exact, you want an exact number? 8.65. 8.65 for eight years? Yeah, or maybe maybe not eight years by six or seven years. Look into the camera. No, no, you know why? <laughs> Do you know why I picked that number? <laughs> why? Nobody makes more than Larkin. Well, internal cap limits are a thing. No, it's a very real thing. It is a, it's a, it's the dumbest thing that I think the NHLPA should ever, they should, their agents should argue this every time. Like, yeah, that's great. He signed that contract years ago. We don't care. But that is exactly what they're, the Red Wings will argue. I think it's going to be hard for teams to get away with that now. Like, so many players were signed now before the cap increases. A thousand percent. Like, look at Jack Hughes' contract, first of all. That was a phenomenal contract from the moment it was signed. And there was some mention of, oh, we're going to try to use Hughes as the internal cap limit. Well, you couldn't do that because $8 million is already too little for Hughes. And they just had to sign Timo Meyer to 8.8. Yeah. And that's because, you know, Timo Meyer further in his career, there's more UFA years bought there. And the cap is going up, so you have to factor that in. So this kind of um, nexus, this this point of transition, is going to make it for team make it more difficult for teams to to try to do that. But I sure as hope Steve Eisman's successful in it. Oh, mm-hmm. I really hope Eisman's successful in it because I think most either if he walked into the that office and get, I am the most important player to the future of this team. He might not be wrong. No, he wouldn't be. Old Colonel says, uh, and this is on Reddit. Uh, says looking around the Atlantic, have any teams other than Boston or Tampa gotten worse in your mind? Toronto's going to score a lot more goals, but they're also going to let in a lot more. <laughs> that just feels like the, the topsy-turviness of Toronto in general. Ottawa got worse. They lost Alex Dabrinkit. But they're going to get Josh Norris back. Yeah, but they lost Alex Dabrinkit. Yeah, that, well, 27 Ryan, goals. Ryan, go with the bit. That's right, yeah. But they added, hey, they added Dominic Kublik, which is pretty good at them. <laughs> I don't know. It's it, The Atlantic is not an easy division to move up in from the bottom, especially right now. T Dime twenty three says, uh, "Whose cap situation is the worst in the league?" The Islanders. It's a thousand percent the Islanders. Okay, their long term cap situation, especially. Is well, yeah, well, I'm, we're looking at the big picture here. Yeah, There's like like ninety percent of the league's up against the cap right now, but a lot of these teams always get some breathing room every summer because one or two decent sized contracts drops. Like even San Jose's isn't so bad anymore because a lot of those bad contracts are nearing the end and they've already been able to unload one or two of them. Uh, the Islanders is just Jesus. Like, cause they're a mediocre team right now. I don't even think I'm predicting them to make the playoffs this year. And they doubled down on this group and they're all signed for a billion years. Like That team is going to suck so bad in like three to four years. Some GM is going to come in after Lou and have a hell of a job. They're going to have like a Danny Briere style job to clean up. Oh, they're going to have a no. It's going to be the Ken Holland. Mm. They're going to be walking. That is my exact projection for the Islanders. Is exactly what happened to Detroit. Except here's the thing: the Islanders never had a Datsuk or a Zetterberg to at least have made that situation palatable at the time. Toronto's is going to be interesting. I don't want to call it bad. You don't have that kind of 
talent on your team and, and say, oh yeah, you're in a bad. It's good problems to have. Well, the, and it's not a. They're not in a bad spot because none of these contracts have like eight years left on them. Well, they're gonna have to. They probably want some of them too, but yeah, they don't to stay as good as they are now. Though they're gonna be in a little bit of a bind. Yeah. So we'll see what they do. Uh, I don't know how to say a pie triga thirteen says, "Hey boys, a bit of a fun one. If you could change one moment in NHL history, what would it be and why?" Okay, I'm gonna assume this is on ice stuff because, from like as a Red Wings fan, the obvious answer is the the limo accident. You would hope, uh, but on ice, what would you change, or and or in Red Wings history? So one in NHL history, and what would you change in Red Wings history? Well, the Red Wings history is obvious. Yeah, that one's 09. Yep. Uh, I love Mark Andre Fleury as a player, but I'll never forgive him for that save. So I'm going to go that one. And in NHL history, ooh, I'm just trying to think of good things that happen to teams I hate. Yeah, that's there's rough. a lot of candidates. Yeah, how far back do you go here? What about like, oh, <laughs> this one's kind of a fun idea because the Red Wings were still very successful without him. But that whole Wayne Gretzky went to bed thinking he'd be a Detroit Red Wing. Holy in the morning, shit! Yeah, and uh, his dad. Pretty much said, look, the Red Wings are already a historic team. There's players who have done it there before you. Gordy's, that's Gordy's team. You can go to LA and make that, like, create a legacy. And he wasn't wrong, but it does leave a big. I have a very, I have a very personal answer because that reminded me of one. Hmm. I would go back in time and change whatever moron it was at the 1989 NHL draft that told the Detroit Red Wings Pavel Bure was not eligible to be drafted when, in fact, he was. We could have had Pavel Bure in that draft class. Fedorov, Lidstrom, Konstantinov, Bure. And because Bure is my favorite non-Red Wing of all time, the fact he was that close to being a Red Wing kills me every time I think about it. Okay, but you want to know what? 88 and 89, the Red Wings are a hair from getting Gretzky and Beret. Oh, my God. They would not have lost a game in the 90s had that happened. But the onus was on the team to provide proof of eligibility, and Vancouver had different proof than what Detroit had. Whatever I have to change to make it happen. <laughs> if I have to transport that proof from the Canucks table to the Red Wings table, that's what I'm changing. Yeah. That one. Oh, between Gretzky and Beret. And it's like, how are you going to be complaining? They won in 97. They yeah, won in they, they, the, they won in 02. Like, they were the best team in the 90s. They were the and best they, team around. And they just lost out on Gretzky and Barrett. They would have went, how many games would they have played in the 90s total? Like 800-ish? They would have went 800 and 0. <laughs> that would have been, it would have just, it, that would have been way too big of a butterfly effect. Like. You don't end up. The certain things don't happen. We had a salary cap like five years earlier. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, we're gonna wrap up this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, folks. We are officially in our off season, which means we are down to one episode a week. So we're gonna still be recording on Sundays. There's gonna be bonus content for patrons midweek. So again, Sunday episodes, and then sometime midweek there is going to be bonus content for patrons. This first week, we may take that uh, a little bit of a break to reset, and we'll start that process next week. Of course, if there is anything emergent, if Steve Eisman comes in and you know signs Tarasenko or trades for Nylander or does something crazy, yeah, we'll record an emergency episode if need be. But for now, 
We are down to one episode a week for the off season. So we're not going away. We're just slowing down a little bit to breathe. Um, Evan's watching my handicap slowly fall on the golf course. And now I need to really work on that. If I want to break a hundred this off season, you think it's possible? I do. And if Evan has that belief in me, you know it's honest because that, that that means you're doing it. There's man, no excuses. No, that man is ruthless on the golf course. So without further ado, thank you all so much for tuning into this episode. Uh, again, if you want to uh, sit with us at uh, the Rose and Toast of Thomas Holmstrom and Nicholas Listrom, send us a DM on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. We'd like to thank all of our listeners, new and old. If you want to support in a way that's not on Patreon, uh, but still help us out, leave a rating wherever you get your uh, podcast and subscribe. So on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you leave that rating and hit subscribe, it, it makes a big difference for us. To all of our patrons, thank you very, very much. And to our name level supporters, uh, we couldn't do it without you, without you. Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Akefer, Samuel Soderholm, Raymond's Missing Tooth, Brad's Lord and Savior, Bradley Cleveland, Glenn Brabham, Barnsey, A Broken Man on a Halifax Pier, Keenan O'Donoghue, Yanni Burgers, Meals on Wheels, Matthew M. Rice, Croner's Left Knee, Admiral Matt S. at the Cheesebag Navy, Babe Landis Cog, Carl Bertina Nanaluski, Carzone 13, Citizen High Five, Clip Clop Nene, Connor Scovey, Cooking with Kosa, Coyote Season Tickets in Anywhere But Tempe, Craig Kibble, Denny's Gamer Girl, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Give Blood Fight Probert, Hockey Town Love, Hockey Town Matt, Hassam Al Qasem, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Joel Miranda, Kalen Wood, King Tone, Larkin the Cat, and Raymond Walk into a Bar, Marcus, Matt McKay, Michael Edland, Mitch Collins, Prashanth, the goalie truther, Ayerserman, RA, Red Three, Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, that's what I appreciate about you, the Mexanadian, Wallman's Elite Dancing D, when does the season start again? Eyes are playing Stan, new name level sponsor. Welcome to the Dub Dub Club. General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, AA Ron, Adam Rose, Big Cheese, Brad Simmons, Brian Vasha, Captain Antonio Gracias of the United Federation of Cheesebags, Chuck Buffchest, the Tarpolis Goon, Commander Ben Barron of the Cheesebag Space Force, Connor, Connor Leighton, Corey Prita, Kringleberg, brand new name level supporter. Welcome to the Dub Dub Club. Darren Fick, don't send me another tweet about. Uh, it until it's done or not done. Elite defenseman Jonathan Erickson, fan club, Frank Stanley, Gene Sullivan, Griffey Boy, Henrik, Robert, Deeks. I'm from Waterloo where the vampires hang out. Instructions unclear, cheese bag no longer fresh, James Laporte, James Pridemore, Jeremiah Dobo, J.M. Rhapsody, John Evans, John Ingalls, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Linda Hall, Maximilian, Melissa Erickson, Nora Sider, Ophelia, Pavel Duck Soup, Shahid Syed, Steven, Tatarsas, The Hodag, The Hat123, Troubadour, brand new name level supporter, welcome to the Dub Dub Club, and your second favorite patron. Thank you all so very much. I have some greens to misread. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.